Greetings and salutations, creature lovers. This is Mr. Venom welcoming you to a highly anticipated episode of No More Room in Hell Presents Creature Comforts. This is, of course, episode number 21. This is an episode that we've been very excited about for the last couple of months. So any of our regular listeners, I'm sure you already know what we're going to talk about. But before we get into that, let me go ahead and introduce my co-host. Coming to us from the Horror Countdown podcast, it is Mr. Don Anelli. How you doing, Don? Screonk, everyone. What's going on? Dusting (laughs) off an old chestnut. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. I was expecting that. Right? Oh, my God. (laughs) My heart went a flutter there for a moment. Oh, so nice. (laughs) And, of course, you heard the voice of our other host coming to us from the main show, No More Room in Hell. It is Mr. Derek B. Derek, how the hell are you doing? Uh, yeah, what's going on, guys? I, didn't, I wasn't even prepared. I did like a hey like a Razor Ramon when I was muted. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Uh, it's already starting out good this episode. Right? <laughs> well... Obviously, um, any of our regular listeners know we've been talking about this movie for the last couple of months. Two months ago, we talked about the teaser. Last month, we talked about the trailer. And now, my friends, it is finally time that we get to talk about the full feature-length film. This is, of course, the granddaddy of them all Coming to us from Toho Studios in Japan, this is Godzilla Minus One. This film, it opened up in Japan on November 4th, opened up out here in the States this past Friday on December 1st. Our movie is coming in at a rating of PG-13, two hours and four minutes, which, wow, I did not even realize this movie was two hours. It felt like it went by in under an hour, but we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit here. Our synopsis, of course, is as follows. Post-war Japan is at its lowest point when a new crisis emerges in the form of a giant monster baptized in the horrific power of the atomic bomb. So, of course, this is the first Godzilla live-action Godzilla film coming to us from Toho Studios since Shin Godzilla in, I believe, what was that, 2016? Um, yeah, 2016, for yeah. For the Japanese awesome. release, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so 2016. It was released in the so. U.S. in 16, too. Was it? I thought it was a year yeah, behind. Yeah, it started in theaters. No, oh, that's right. They played theaters for a short run out here. I do. Uh, I, I thought it came out. I thought it came out a year after. Came out <laughs> physical media a year after, but yeah. But anyways, this is for another discussion. <laughs> First live action Godzilla movie from Toho since Shin Godzilla, which we've talked about a couple of times on this show. Never as a full feature review, but I think we've all given our opinions once or twice on Shin Godzilla. And now here we are, 2023, the end of 2023, we finally have our new Godzilla film from Toho. And what a time to be a Godzilla fan, because not only are we getting Godzilla Minus One, we're halfway through the Monarch series on Apple Plus for anybody who has that streaming service. We've got, uh, you know, we've got anime Godzilla coming. We've got Godzilla vs. Kong 2 on the way next year. Yeah, it is a golden time to be a Godzilla fan. And not only is it a glut of Godzilla content, but the fact that it's actually good 
at least what we've gotten so far. Obviously, we can't comment on the anime or the uh, or Godzilla versus Kong New Empire quite yet, but Hobbs I can and definitely. Shaw, you mean? What's that? It's a legit. I, I spoiler alert! I watched the trailer. It looks like Fast and the Furious. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's definitely they definitely took the color palette of the first Godzilla Kong and up the ante. A lot of yeah. neon, a lot of pinks and purples. It almost looks like the color out of space for any uh, HP Lovecraft fans out there. If you saw that Nick Cage movie. Yeah. Oh, hey, a Lovecraftian Godzilla movie I'm on board for. If they have a movie where it's where we find out that Godzilla is actually not created by an atomic bomb, but that he's actually a creature older than time from the depths of space. Holy shit, I would be happy. But... And he has to fight Cthulhu at the end of it. Right? Oh, <laughs> stop. You're giving me a crazy uh, nerd boner right now. Let's, let's go it's ahead. The next it's the next Rewa movie. We're calling it now. Oh, I love it. I love it. So, obviously, Godzilla Minus One opened this past Friday. I got to see it three times. Got to see it on the 30th, actually, to go see you know the, the premiere the night before. I did not make it out to the uh, fan event on the 29th, but I know a couple of people that did make it out there, so, and you know they raved about it. Obviously, those were some of the first reviews that we were getting from the people that went to the fan event, and obviously all the reviews were glowing. I think... Godzilla is sitting on about a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes right now, which is monstrous for a Godzilla movie. Not since Godzilla versus Destoroya, which is my favorite Godzilla movie, have we been getting those kind of Rotten Tomato and IMDb numbers. So congrats, Toho. But yeah, let's go ahead and just get into it. I mean, we've got, we've got a lot to talk about, a lot to unpack, and just a lot of nostalgia and nerdgasms to talk about. So let's go ahead and uh, let's bring in Derek first. Derek, tell me about your experience with Godzilla Minus One. Man, well, I'm, I'm not going to spoil anything yet, but <laughs> I can't talk. It's hard. Let's uh, just say I saw this movie on the 30th also. I actually went to uh, a new theater and new AMC that just opened up that has like all the laser projectors now. Nice. And that was pretty cool. You know, it wasn't IMAX, but it was still kind of like a cool experience because the, the picture quality was a lot better than, say, like a normal IMAX theater. Yeah, and, you know, I'm watching the movie, and I'm just, like, engrossed, and, you know, the whole beginning sequence fucking happens. And then it's, like, another, like, 45 minutes till we actually get more of that. But I was still engrossed because it was, like, Shit that I wasn't expecting it because if you didn't know me, I'm actually a huge War World 2 buff too. I've actually watched a lot of war movies, um, some of my downtime. And it's like an aspect of the war that you never really see in films because they always show the American side of war. But movies like this or like All Quiet in the Western Front actually paint like it's not easy on both sides war fucks with everybody in the end and that's the aspect of this movie that i fucking loved going into it and man i was not expecting to hear any like fucking musical cues in this movie whatsoever and when they fucking happened i actually got fucking goosebumps you know like I, for some weird reason i wasn't expecting them but then they just came and i'm like 
like this orgasm fucking between my eyes and shit, like fucking visuals and this idea, this knowing that this movie is only made for fucking fifteen million dollars, it's fucking kind of mind blowing. It's fucking yeah. crazy, you know. No, no, kinda about it. It's flat out mind blowing. Yeah, but anyways, also like I'm a big fan of the director. Uh, I actually watched a few of his movies in prep for this because he did a few war movies like the battle of the Archimedes and he did like the eternal zero, which was a airplane movie kind of has the same themes, but uh, he also did like some animated movies too. He like, he did Lupin the third, uh, the first that came out recently. He even did a fucking dragon quest movie. That's on Netflix. Uh, I, I didn't know that was him until I looked it up. I'm like, really? I, this is definitely moved to like top five Godzilla movies of all time for me. It's fucking great. I, I don't know where I would actually place it. it. I hate fucking water and shit sometimes because it's like, I love all these movies, even the shittier ones I love, you know? Not even like a Godzilla movie. It's like fucking good fucking movie. Yeah, big time. Um, I, I've been saying the same thing since I watched it the first time. This is not only potentially one of the best Godzilla movies ever. It is one of the best films of 2023. I, I've been harping up stuff like Oppenheimer and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 as some of the you know best, most entertaining films of the year. And obviously, I'm biased. Being the a gigantic Godzilla fan, I'm way biased on that. So obviously, this is probably going to be my favorite movie of the year. Whether it's going to appear in my horror top ten, still, there's some decision-making to be made there. Because I've always looked at creature features as horror films, but I know a lot of people tend to not. And I'm not really here to, you know, start too many debates on what what is horror and what is not. So, you know, I'll leave that to other podcasts to handle. But, yeah, by far my favorite movie of the year. All right, Don, why don't you go ahead and come on in here and tell us a little bit about your general thoughts on Godzilla Minus One. All right, so yeah, um, I am fortunate enough that uh, this release fell on my birthday. So um, I saw it Monday for my birthday, and over the coming days, I've kind of gone back on what I initially thought. Uh, based on just giving it a little bit of time to breathe, letting some of the stuff uh, sink in and float around in my head a little bit. And that's usually where I I tend to find Godzilla ranks um, a lot more with me, is that I I have a little bit of time to think about everything. With horror, I'm usually just, you know, a a one-and-done, you know, okay, I've seen it, I've, you know, been exposed to everything. I can, you know, usually figure everything out after one watch. And if I usually do anything more than that, it, it, there's, it, it, I'll say this, it's rare for me to rewatch a horror film more than once. Um, I, I mean, I can count on one hand the number of films that I've seen more than five times, actually, believe it or not. Um, so yeah, rewatching the genre, watching horror films is not usually something I do all the time. Um, whereas with Godzilla, the more I rewatch them, the more I come to terms with everything inside. And that's what's happened here. So I'll say this for the initial viewing when I first came out of it, I liked it. 
I wasn't quite at that. It's, you know, an undisputed masterpiece sequence. I, I had some issues with it. The two hours is probably still going to remain, um, even with the advent of time. I, I'm still going to come on down on that. I think you could probably make this at 155 instead of the 205, I think it is. Um, like it just like trickles over two hours, but I think you could still do this at 105. I, I think there's a few scenes here and there that just hammer stuff home that we've already seen several times over. I don't really need a lot of the. I, I know what their names are. Um, I, I know the girl's name is Noriko, and the guy's Chiniki, I think. Koichi. 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 Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I can say the names. I just I, I can't attach names to faces. Go figure. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I think a lot of those sequences there are kind of redundant, and they they, they just pile on the, you, you know, they they just pile the symbolism on when we don't really need it. And I absolutely abhor the use of um, fan service, I think is the proper term. Um, I, mean, I mean, you call stuff back numerous times over. I, I'm not a fan. The, you know, the first half of this is, and you know, is pretty much the original. Um, the Odo Island sequences are almost verbatim. Um, a lot of the first half uh, plays up the first half of the original you know, we get Godzilla raids again um, quoted often. Um, if you can't find the sequences in GMK that's quoted here, you're blind or have only been a Godzilla fan for a few months and haven't seen everything. So, uh, yeah, that that thing is uh, quoted pretty heavily. There's uh, Testaroya is a you know pretty common theme in here. We get um, Godzilla X Mecha Godzilla, which is a pretty big one. Um, I, I mean, geez, how can you forget Godzilla versus King Ghidorah? Uh, again, another one where you're either blind or you have only been a Godzilla fan for a few months and haven't seen everything. So a, a lot of that really irritated me on first watch. Um, but I, I, I think after after sitting with it a little bit and giving it a little bit of time to breathe and grow, they don't bother me as much. I, I, I still have issues with the two-hour runtime. It, it, it does feel it's um, as much fun as it is. I do get a, a little bit of the, you know, okay, let's hurry it up. Let's get to the ending so I can go to the bathroom kind of a feeling. I, I think that'll probably dissipate with with time. Um, I, I've only seen it the once, so uh, we'll see how I fare with repeat viewings. I... I, I still really love this. Um, I, the first half is a fantastic setup. I, I love the fact that in five minutes we see Godzilla, or I, I should say in quotations Godzilla, which, uh, spoiler alert, we'll talk later. Um, we get, you know, the, the human drama setup, which is uh, a really, really good one. I, I really like the way that, uh, you know, as Derek was saying, you know, it's, you know the suicide bombers, the you know whole idea of war impacting the every the every man, which uh, you know is something that you know hasn't really been seen since the original or you know Godzilla raids again, which is one of the films that I you know mentioned earlier. And then we get what is oh my god one of the greatest sequences of Godzilla actual destruction sequences I've seen in a movie in my life. 
holy crap, this attack on Ginza is just... Uh, I'm a, sorry, I'm trying to readjust my boner as I'm speaking here. <laughs> yeah, oh god, this sequence was just... Oh, I was in heaven watching this. And to know that it started off with a, a sequence that with a piece of music that is just near and dear to my heart, and I almost had a stone cold pop when that like pop Godzilla started playing. Godzilla versus Mothra, Mothra versus Godzilla. It's fucking oh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah! Oh my god! I, I almost did a stone cold pop in the theater. Oh, it was fantastic. Also, I should I should note uh, because actually Mothra versus Godzilla is actually one of my favorite Godzilla movies, and it's actually my favorite look of Godzilla. And it's also the last one where he was a bad guy in the Showa era, too, which was fucking awesome. Yeah. And, you know, so it brought back, like, that kind of nostalgic memory, too, with it, which was fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I, I, I loved it. Could the plan to stop him be less goofy? Maybe. Um, I loved I, it, I know, Well, that's the thing. I know where they're coming from, and I know that it, it, it's pretty logically devised, and I like the way that they pull it out. But the thing is, is that for a film that plays as strictly in reality as this one does, the idea of going that goofy and, uh, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a really silly idea when, you know, on like the surface of it. I mean, I, I, I like the way that it plays out, how it's devised, how they come about it. It's just, you know, in a film this serious and a film this, you know, based in, you know, genuine reality, to go with this kind of a goofy idea to finally stop them, it, I, I don't know if that would be the way I would go with it, but I, I, again, I like the way it plays out. I like the way it's done. It's, you know, handled really well. And, you know, I, I think it's like what almost like the entire second act is the, is, you know, putting this plan into motion. So it's like one of the few times where you genuinely get to see humanity directly interacting with Godzilla for an extended period of time, rather than just, you know, bombing him. Which I, I, I really enjoyed that, and I, I think that really makes it stand out a little just because it's it's just not the norm. You don't really see humanity interacting with Godzilla unless, you know, they're just, you know, shooting tanks and, you know, rockets at them. Wrapping this up, I, I, I loved it. I, I like it more than I did when I first watched it, which, uh, like I said, I had a few nagging nitpicks. Um, is this the, you know, the best Godzilla movie ever? Um Give me a few more watches with it. Give me a chance to settle with them a little bit more. Give me a little bit more time with it. And I, I can very easily see this as a top three, maybe even a little higher. Um, as it stands, I'm absolutely for sure placing this in the top five. Um, like I said, just uh, give me a little bit more time with it. Give me a little bit of the chance to let them breathe and the digest and uh, we'll go from there. But, uh, yeah, at, at worst, top five, and that's the best I'll do um, for now. So, uh, guess back to you. All right. Well, I'm obviously going to agree with a lot of what Don said, but I'm also going to disagree with a lot of what he said, and it's really only going to be with maybe the gripes that Don had, because for and not to say that Don is wrong and I'm right, not by any stretch of the imagination, but for me, this movie was flawless. Uh, this movie is two hours and five minutes. I wanted more. This this was the most compelling human story we have ever gotten since, well, at least since the original. I absolutely adore this human story. The fact that it's not convoluted. There aren't 50 different fucking characters that we have to follow. 
This is a nice, compact story. And honestly, this whole movie is the story of one man. It's Koichi's movie. This this is not Godzilla's movie, despite what a lot of people might think. This is mm-hmm. absolutely Koichi's movie. Mm-hmm. This, he is the one going through the character arc. He is the one getting his redemption moment. He is the one pretty much driving a lot of the action in this movie, especially during our finale. Go ahead. I, 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 man. Like, I just wanted fucking side movies of all the other characters, too. Like, I, I wanted to yes. see, like, a- Asian Quint and his son. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You That's know? what I mean. Like, this this movie, you know, even though we're only really following one character, we get two very distinct stories around this character. We get his home life, or should I say his home life after he returns from war, you know, deemed a coward because of not going through with his kamikaze mission. But then we also get his work life. And that story is just as entertaining, if not more so, than the story at home with Noriko and Akiko and, you know, the, the people. Venom. the people. Ven- uh-huh. I was just going to say, like, when I found out what his fucking job was, I'm like, that... They did that shit. They had to actually clean up mines and shit. I'm oh like, yeah, man, yeah, fuck that job. I was like, that's <laughs> well, hey, just like he said in the movie, that's why he's being paid handsomely because of the risk involved. And yeah, I mean, same thing all the way to today. Even though it, it's not always about landmines, but the most dangerous jobs tend to be the ones that pay the best because you're risking your damn life. You know, it's not like you're going to make minimum wage working on an oil rig. Hell no. Your, your life is at risk every single day on an oil rig. So and plus it comes oh. to the best part of the Godzilla part of this movie where it turns into the jaws all of a sudden. Absolutely. Very much so. I mean, we get a, we get a legit chase sequence in here. Not something we often get in a Kaiju movie, but we get a legit chase sequence that is downright terrible terrifying, intense, and just looks amazing. I mean, we'll, we'll get into the effects and everything, in, in obviously, at some point today. But right now, just talking about this human story, I mean, there were points, and th- this is almost going to be sacrilegious for a, for a Godzilla fan to say, but there were points in this movie when the camera would leave the human story and go back to the kaiju story, and I would be like, no, no, wait. Go back. Like, I, I was so engrossed with Koichi and Noriko. I love uh, their Noriko. neighbor. Oh, Noriko was great. The neighbor, uh, Su- Sumiko Oda, uh, I thought she was fucking awesome. Despite yeah. being kind of a contradiction of herself, an amazing character. I, oh, well. The mechanic, when he fucking just came back into the movie, I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? That's what I mean. There are so many redemption moments in this movie. It's insane. Um, you know, Tachibana, the, the, the mechanic from Oda That's Island. One of my favorite characters in this. It was fucking great. He was great. He was legitimately great. And even when he's beating the shit out of Koichi, it's like, yeah, Koichi kind of deserves it. <laughs> Go ahead and whip him a little bit. You know, I mean, hey, everybody deserves an ass whooping every now and then. So, yeah, Tachibana, just amazing character, you know. And, and I'm so glad he wasn't just in that opening scene. The fact that he comes back later in the film, yeah. you know, it, it, 
it was almost like Captain America showing up in a in an MCU movie. So cool. Obviously, and and one of the greatest things that I will thank this movie for is the fact that they they don't interject a bunch of political garbage. That was my biggest complaint with Shin Godzilla. Yeah. The fact that the human story in Shin Godzilla revolved around the government and what they were going to do about Godzilla. There is no government bullshit in this movie whatsoever. The operation that ends up kind of saving the day, if you will, quote unquote, is all civilians. Uh, Granted, they're ex-seamen, they're ex-Navy cadets, but the point is they're all civilians now, and they took it upon themselves to save Japan, you know, uh, screw waiting for the government to come up with some stupid oxygen destroyer or whatever else you want to come up with. I don't ultimately disagree with Don's insight on the plan. Uh, the plan is a little silly, but at the same time, what options Notice do they silly, have? silly, though. You know, it's 1946. It's not like they have, you know, space weapons or, you know, crazy shit to use against them. They're, they're using what they have. Like I said, if, if the pressure of the ocean, both, you know, at the bottom of the ocean and at the top of the ocean, if that's going to be your best ally, use it. I mean, yeah. ultimately, I didn't think it was a bad plan, especially because they don't know anything about Godzilla. They don't know if that pressure, that uh, decompression is going to, you know, make his yeah, cells he, break down the, the way they do with humans. But yeah, they got to try Noda, the theory. Even Noda, the guy who came up with the plan, is like, I don't even know if it's going to fucking work. Exactly. I mean, an honest human character, you know, no bullshit, no BS, no bureaucracy. I mean, I will forever thank this movie for that, for giving me likable characters, characters, you know, that no matter what side of the fence they're on, whether they agree with going on this mission or whether they don't, it's like everybody does their job well. All the characters are likable. Yo, I even kind of teared up today when I rewatched it when the balloon guy said, we're going on the ship with you. I'm like, whoa. Yeah, definitely. I Well, you know what? I, I'm not too much of a man to admit I, I teared up multiple times in this movie. But it's not necessarily because of the sad parts of the movie. It was just watching Godzilla on the big screen go on fucking rampages. I'm, I'm the kind of old Godzilla fan that when I see a new Godzilla film on a big screen, I get a little emotional. You know? Yeah, when they also looted him dying at the end, I was like, Yeah. And it was so abrupt, too. You know, I mean, you kind of saw it coming, but when when it actually happens, it's so abrupt and everybody's just like, okay, you know, he's gone. It's it. Man, it it just comes off as so believable, so organic, you know, such a whole battle scene, that whole fucking thing. Was so epic because then the King Kong theme just bumped on out of nowhere, <laughs> and I was like, "Why do I hear boss music right now? Is Kong just going to come out of the water?" That'd be oh crazy. God! <laughs> Thank you for not doing that. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. It was, I know I totally know what you mean, but because, if this because was a Hollywood movie, because, I could see that happening because That's because because that whole like music through that whole like oh, scene is actually a remake of the Godzilla versus the Destroyer end credits. Oh, it's fucking awesome. Oh, it's great. They have all the musical cues here. That's part of where I'm going to disagree with Don is the fan service. I have never been had a major problem as, of fan service as long as it doesn't come off as forced or cheesy. And I know that ultimately that's a subjective term. You know, what's forced and cheesy to one person isn't going to be to another. 
as I said earlier, this is our first live action Godzilla movie from Toho in eight, uh, seven to eight years. Let's just say eight to be, to be around, uh, um, and for me, that's an emotional thing. Like, I go that long without a Godzilla movie. It's gonna affect me when I watch it in theaters. It's gonna, it's gonna, it means that much to me. So, like I said, to actually see the improvements in the storytelling, the acting, I mean, there, there is not one cringy line delivery in this whole movie. The acting is stellar. The dialogue is stellar. The scenes where Koichi kind of loses his grip on reality, fucking brilliant. I mean, just, again, beautifully written and beautifully acted and beautifully directed. I, I just, I can't say enough good things about this human story. As I said earlier, the fact that I wanted to spend more time with the human story than we even got. I mean, this is one of the first Godzilla movies where I'm not complaining about the, the lack of screen time for Godzilla. Ultimately, he's the only kaiju in this movie. It's not like he's got four others to fight with, you know, upping the stakes or the ante or whatever. So, you know, it's just the one kaiju, you know, you're not going to make a two-hour kaiju movie with an hour and a half of kaiju action. It's just too much. Eventually, people would start to complain that it's just too much. So to actually give us that compelling human story, I'm dead serious, folks. I forgot I was watching a Godzilla movie on at least two occasions while watching this the first time. I flat out forgot it was a Godzilla movie because the story is so compelling. These actors are so good and so likable. You want to see these people survive. That's, That's another thing that this movie does that most kaiju movies don't do. Most kaiju movies, we want to see the kaiju rampage. We want to see them destroy Tokyo, whatever city it is they're in, blah, blah, blah. And here it's like, yeah, I want to see the I want to see the destruction, but I also want to see everyone that we're following survive. I don't want to see any of these people go. I love all of them. You know, be it the couple, be it the neighbor, be it the people on the crew on the on Koichi's, you know, boat. Just all of them are just so goddamn likable and they're all smart, you know. I mean, obviously there's some goofy characters in here that are meant to be comic foil and, you know, that's fine. But even they don't come off as idiots, like like the, the kid, if you will, the one, the character that they called the kid the whole time. He's getting disrespected left and right, and then at the end of the movie, he's oh, a fucking so hero. Good. Are so you kidding good. me? The goofball that no, that every that no one gave any credit for. And it's a very Hollywood ending, I understand that. But if you watch the film, it doesn't come off like a Hollywood ending. It's not like he flies in with a flamethrower and saves the day. He literally does what he can. And what he could do was to get all his fellow boat captains to go out and help, even though they weren't asked to. And again, that human element to the story, just it's so compelling, it's so moving. I I mean, that's really the best word I can come up with is moving. I can't tell you how many times I was moved in this movie just with the actions of these people. And uh, I started to make a point early about uh, about how if this was an American movie, how the human elements would have been so much different, like Koichi's first day on the new boat he would have been hated because, you know, he's the military uh, air gunner, the guy that actually has military experience. In an American movie, everybody would have shunned him. They would have made fun of him. He would have been the outcast of the group. Instead, here, he's welcomed into the group instantly. He proves his worth on his very first mission by taking out those mines. 
I mean, I, I just love that flow. We don't have to waste any time with animosity. We don't have to waste any time with bullying. We don't have to time, we don't have to waste any time setting up a human antagonist. There's no human antagonist in this movie. How fucking great is that? How great is that? And I know it may not be great for 100% of Godzilla fans, but for somebody like me, uh, you know, who's been living with Godzilla his entire life since I was born, I, to, to see something like this, it's, it's just an absolute marvel. So, yeah. yeah. Human story, I, I, I think we've touched on that enough. Uh, let's go ahead and jump in on this design, this Godzilla design. You where, said the first one? Uh, that's right. That's right. We do have uh, an opening form, if you will, for the cold open. So, yeah, yeah. Derek, why don't you come on in here and uh, tell us what you thought of that cold open? Man, it, it was like like what I always kind of wanted from the Jurassic Park movies, that they kind of teased me with the Jurassic Park movies. <laughs> or something like if they ever made like a live-action Turok movie, that would be in it. Yes. You know, like, it was fucking awesome, and, you know, they've probably been, like, because a lot of the, another criticism that Shin has is Godzilla's first design in that one looks fucking goofy as all fuck, because he starts out like the giant claw, (laughs) you know, in that one. (laughs) It's kind of like a fuck you to Ano in the same way, but, you know, actually, because Yamashiki actually did some of the visual effects for Shin, which I found out later on, which is kind of cool, too. Yeah, I fucking loved it. It was kind of cold and dark, and I wasn't kind of expecting the movie to open up like that, either. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a cool call back, because it was on Odo Island, which, of course, I know the first one. But he was actually fully formed Godzilla back then. This is kind of like a mixture of, like, maybe if he was, like, still a Godzilla-saurus. Yeah. Like, kind of like Godzilla versus King Ghidorah that we watched for Underwater Kaiju years ago. Yep. And it kind of had that kind of, and even some of the music cues kind of remind me of like the music from that, like kind of like the Diamond Gin era Ifukube feel to it, which kind of was kind of cool. Which, yeah. Yeah, I dug the fuck out of it. And, you know, when he started fucking just biting people and just throwing them in the air like he was like King Kong, <laughs> it was fucking great. Damn right. Uh, Don, what'd you think of the design of this early Godzilla version? I like it. It, it, I I probably would have wanted a little bit more on screen action because you only really get like the. I I think it's like those like two or three shots where he's like in the middle of the village where you get like the full body shots. I I wouldn't want a little bit more time with them. It's a fun design. I, I can see where, you know, it's the. The evolution into Godzilla, um, especially with this Godzilla design that they have, um, there's a lot of similarities, which I like. Not necessarily my all-time favorite. Uh, the head looks a little too big, but, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's a pretty fun design. Um, I, I mean, like I said, it's kind of like the Godzilla-saurus to the 1990s Godzilla version. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it, it, you know, it's very much in that design where it, 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 you can see the evolutionary designs, but it's not quite him kind of same for me i mean i i absolutely love that opening that cold open i definitely did not expect 
that much action that early in the film, you know, especially because this is kind of a reboot or starting from beginning. I figured we would get kind of more, how, how could we put it, like more in the shadows looks of Godzilla or, you know, maybe yeah. in silhouette or whatever. But no, th- this movie did what was it? Wow, what movie was that that we watched recently? Was it Troll from last year? Where literally there was no waiting. Like in the opening scene, we got this great shot of the monster right away. Yeah. Um, and that's what we get here. Like I said, I mean, like Derek said, I mean, it's only a couple of minutes into the movie when we get our first Godzilla attack. And even though it's a much smaller attack than we're used to, it's so cool. And the fact that he is smaller means that he is able to bite down on actual human beings. Like, you know, once Godzilla is fully grown, a, a, a person is basically an ant to Godzilla. But at this size in, in the cold open, he was actually able to bite down and, like, bite him in half. Not not that he actually bit anyone in half in the movie, but he could have if he wanted to. Um, mm. He definitely seemed like he just wanted to toss him around. It, it, <laughs> actually, okay. weirdly enough, he kind of looks like some of the T-Rexes and, like, maybe, like, Peter Jackson's King Kong. <laughs> That was my thing. I, I, yeah, that was my thing. Cause he's like maybe 20, 30 feet, like compared to those buildings. I mean, I don't know how tall they would be, but he looked like he would have been like a, you know, maybe like a little bit bigger than like a T-Rex. You know, I want to see like a King Kong versus Godzilla where it's this Godzilla and it's like, <laughs> that'd be fucking, <laughs> I would watch the shit I'm out saying, like, That's what I'm saying. Like he's kind of has like that T-Rex kind of size. I mean, not like in shape, but like that particular size. Like, you know, 20, 30 feet, maybe, I mean, compared to the huts that he smashes into. Yeah. All right. So then after this cold open, we are we, we get into a little bit of a lull in the film as far as we're going to get into. We're going to delve deep into the human story. Now, we learn more about Koichi, who, of course, we mentioned earlier, is a disgraced kamikaze pilot. It turns out that he lied about technical difficulties with his plane on the day that he was supposed to go out on his mission, ends up going to Oda Island to get his plane repaired, and, of course, then the Godzilla attack happens. And uh, basically, after the cold open, the war is over. It's now December of 1945. All, All parties have stopped firing on each other, peace treaties have been signed, and it's basically just the aftermath. We 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 witness Koichi going back home to his pretty much destroyed town. He actually goes back to his house. It is completely demolished. His parents have died and the only person in the neighborhood who still who recognizes him is his neighbor Oda. She obviously remembers that he was supposed to be a, a kamikaze pilot and in Japan being a kamikaze pilot is a great honor. It's something that, you know, dying for your country is something that's like the greatest honor in Japan and the fact that he came back from war shows that he was a coward and, you know, got out of his mission, so blah, blah, blah. He's now shunned by his neighbor. He ends up meeting a girl named Noriko. She is basically also um, basically homeless. I hate to call Koichi homeless. He's not homeless. He he does have a rubble. He, he's got a pile of rubble to his own. That's his home. So I love that he rebuilds um, it. It's fucking oh, yeah. And, I, and once he starts working, he rebuilds it. And it actually looks pretty decent after a while. <laughs> I was kind of surprised. Like, I, I honestly thought once he started working that they would just move all together, you know, move into an apartment in a in a not demolished neighborhood. But it also makes sense that you would rebuild the neighborhood, too. 
no, you know, people don't want to give up their homes after living there for so long. We also find out that, you know, like I said, Kuichi bumps into this girl, Noriko, who is, you know, homeless. She has a child in her hands. She's running away from a vendor that she just stole some food from. Koichi tries to stop her. Um, you know, trying to do the Good Samaritan thing and stop a thief, but when he tries to stop her, she hands him her baby, the baby that she's holding, oh. um, and just runs away, leaving him just in town with a baby that he has no idea who it belongs to, you know, what he's supposed to do with it. We actually do see that he tries to leave it behind, but he's unable to, and then him and Noriko kind of start... Not, It's a very odd relationship, because... They never get married. They never consummate their relationship. It's not like they actually get together or show signs of being in love, which is another thing that I appreciate about this movie. No pigeonholed romance. Anybody who knows me knows how much I hate that shit. It's usually in horror movies where I hate it, but it, it bothers me in action movies and other movies too. So the fact that Noriko and Koichi have this very – out of balance uh, relationship where they don't even know what they are. Like they don't even call each other, you know, boyfriend, mate, husband. Like they, they just don't engage in that stuff, which is a really odd situation. Koichi's captain actually has a great line in the movie of once you took them in, they are your family. You, you have no choice. It doesn't matter whether you tell this little girl, you're not her father in her eyes. You are her father. In her eyes, Noriko is her mother. She doesn't know any better. And I don't know if I mentioned it or not, but the baby doesn't belong to Noriko either. The baby is just a complete orphan. Her parents died during the air raids, and they handed the baby off to Noriko to kind of take care of. So that's enough of the human story for now. At this point in the movie, we find out that the U.S. is still testing atomic bombs near Japan. And this is actually real. This definitely did happen. Uh, this was called... Operation, Operation Crossroads. Crossroads, yeah. Absolutely, yes. Uh, and this was from July 1946. I love this. And this is basically a series of atomic bomb tests that were done in the Pacific Ocean, off the, you know, far off the coast of Japan, but still off yeah. the coast of Japan. Oh, go if ahead. You've seen all of, that's what I'm saying. If you've seen all of those uh, 50s sci-fi things, I think it's actually the opening on the American version of Rodan. That's where yeah. the footage comes from, yeah. 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 I, I like that they utilize this because while they show the footage of the U.S. testing those atomic bombs, we actually see like a close-up of Godzilla's eye and we see that the, the nuclear material in the bombs is transforming him. So even though we already saw him in the cold open and he was already a very menacing creature, probably what, I don't know, 30, 40 feet tall, somewhere in that neighborhood, to see the U.S bomb testing, transform him even more. It's nice because it kind of aligns with the original movie, too, because in the original movie, you know, they tried to say that he was transformed or mutated by the atomic bomb, by one of the atomic bombs that the U.S. dropped on Japan. It's kind of cool how here we actually do get to see two different stages of Godzilla, but without the evolution aspect of it that we got in Shin Godzilla, which, you know, I don't hate the evolution aspect that we got in Shin Godzilla, some of those stages were actually quite menacing looking. They yeah. looked gnarly as hell. Admittedly, that first one maybe left a little to be desired, but, you know, it just got better and better. Very H.R. Geiger. Let's just move yes. 
<laughs> so yeah, so like I said, after this, we find out that Godzilla has been mutated. We eventually get a scene where the the boat that Koichi works on, the one that goes, the minesweeper that basically goes around getting rid of the old mines that were planted there during the war. They end up having, uh, they end up getting called out to a downed U.S. vessel. It's a warship, an actual U.S. warship that's been downed in the middle of the ocean. And this is where we get our next big scene of Godzilla. This is where we finally Mm. see Godzilla (laughs) in his final form, you know, after, after the mutation of the 1946 atomic tests. And we see him attack a, um, uh, a Japanese warship and pretty much fuck it all up. Love it. This scene, yeah. Like a lion this scene is actually very, very similar to what we got in Godzilla versus Kong on those ship attacks. Like the very first Godzilla versus Kong battle in that movie <laughs> is pretty similar to what we get here, but with only one kaiju, of course. And yeah, he basically tries to destroy the ship. Uh, the Japanese warship, uh, by jumping on it, he, and trying to flip it over, he's unsuccessful, but then eventually we see that famous blue glow coming from under the water, and boom, out comes his atomic breath to destroy, uh, the warship Takao, if I remember its, uh, its name. And by the way, let's go off on a tangent right here. Was this the greatest atomic breath ever, or is it just me? Uh, it's very reminiscent of GMK, yeah, with the, you know, but it's like... Isn't the one in this... I'll go ahead. What are you going to say, though? Isn't, isn't it the first time we see it, the attack in the city, when he blows up the tanks? Not the... When did he... Did, he did a quick blowout in the water when he was under the ship after he got really? shot with it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah, catch that. I, I thought the first thing he did it was when he blew up the tanks in the city, because that's when you get to see the... That's you know, the first the time that, yeah, that's the first time that we get to see the nuclear aftermath, like the, the mushroom cloud. Yeah, it does everything. turn into a mushroom cloud, yeah, when he blows up the ship, remember? Yeah, because there's that great shot of him standing in front of his own mushroom cloud, just kind of badass looking at it. I, I'll just One of the many epic shots. He's like, movie. I made that. <laughs> yeah. I now, what Don is saying is that we don't get that, like, the nuclear blast until we get to the city, and that's what I'm talking about. This was the oh, most gnarly. Uh, okay, yeah, because uh-huh. you're bringing it up on the the ship attack, and then we're jumping around into the city attack. Oh okay. yeah, yeah. This isn't. I, I'm not doing a true walkthrough by any stretch. Okay, of well that's what. Okay, well yeah, no, that's yeah, what threw me. I mean, okay, yeah. If you're you're talking about the city thing, uh, I mean, oh my god, yeah, that that was incredible. I mean, literally, he spits out his atomic blast, and then it's a fucking nuclear explosion at the point that his nuclear that his atomic blast hits the ground. That was so freaking cool and terrifying. Like, this is why I would say this is absolutely a horror movie, because this the things that this Godzilla does are absolutely horrifying. Think about something that no Godzilla movie has ever done, and that's address the weight of Godzilla. During some of the city rampage scenes, when he would step on the concrete, the concrete would break and bow upwards literally tossing people into the air. How fucking epic is that to, to actually address the fact that this guy weighs about what? 200 tons. So his footsteps, they shouldn't just shake the earth. They should literally destroy it 
And that's exactly what we got in this oh, movie. Oh, I love when you step some mm. fucking people, too. It's so fucking good. That's the other thing, actual crushings. Like, that's something that's very lacking in a lot of kaiju movies out there. Maybe not specifically mm. Godzilla, but a lot of kaiju movies out there. You don't mm. get the... The, the incidental crushing, you know, because don't forget, Godzilla's walking around. He's not always seeing what he's stepping on. I mean, it's not like he's looking down constantly. He's just walking through this city. Yo, and to actually get shots of him crushing people, so cool. So yo, well, I, I will say this. I'll say this. I'll speak to this on one thing real quick is that this is one of the trends in modern cinema where the spectacle is up close and personal rather than from a distance. Yes. So I, I don't think that if you would, if you would give like, you know, a sixties era Toho film or even like, you know, like the Hasey one in the nineties, I think you could have done that back then, but there, sure. the, the spectacle wasn't as involved as it is now where Gamer three did you know, it. I mean, yeah, Gamma three is like one of the only ones that I can think of that actually legitimately showed the impact of what happens when a kaiju lands in a city. But I, I think the the sense of real the sense of spectacle wasn't up close and personal like this one is. Like yeah. a lot of the you know, a lot of like the comic book Marvel movies are the ones that show like it's up close and personal. Whereas, you know, the sense of scale that these things were at were usually it didn't allow them to do that just because you know, Godzilla in the 90s was 300 feet tall. You're not going to get that kind of up-close-and-personal nature on something that big. That's why I'm glad we got both versions of Godzilla here. We get the up-close-and-personal stuff during the cold open, and we get the I'm just a giant god and I'm not aware of the ants I'm stepping on <laughs> during the rest uh, of the movie. Yo, it's crazy, though, because there's some shots of his fucking feet in this movie where you start to see notice some details to it because it kind of has, like, that T-Rex feel to him still. You can see, like, his bones are, like, sticking out of one of his feet. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I thought I saw that, too. I thought yeah. I saw that, too, yeah. And he has, like, a bone sticking out of his, one of his arms, too. He's, like, the fucking abomination in the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> Maybe a oh. little Space Godzilla. Oh, a sequel. I have some sequel, sequel thoughts. Oh, movie. well, I mean... <laughs> That's the thing, because unfortunately, because this movie is so new, we're going to try to avoid spoilers the best we can. Yeah. But the end, the very last shot of the movie is a major spoiler for the next movie, which is which I found incredibly interesting. I'm not sure how much we can really get into it, but I'll see if I can figure out a way to say it without actually saying it <laughs> by the time we get to that part of the psychological show. link. Imagine. Oh, man. When they showed that final shot and I saw that on her neck, I'm like, oh, yes. I'm so, oh, man. That's what I mean. When movies actually leave you already anticipating the next one, it, it, I mean, that's a triumph to me. That's like I'm, I'm walking out of the theater during all three of and I'm not done watching Godzilla. I'm still going to go see it um, one more time. Uh, I might go see it again tomorrow, too. 
Yeah, since it got extended another week. Oh, by the way, for those of you um, who thought it was only playing for a week, it did get extended for another week. Yeah. That just got announced today. I'm not sure Ooh. when this episode is going to be out, but it will be in theaters until December 14th. And now that it got extended an extra week, I'm going to be able to get to see it in IMAX. Because of the Beyonce movie opening, all the IMAX screens at um, AMC were taken up by that movie. So even though Godzilla is available in IMAX, I wasn't able to see it because of fucking Beyonce. Yeah, but, bitch. <laughs> but because they extended it another week, now I will be able to see it because I just checked my listings today and there is an IMAX showing uh, within 15 minutes of my house. So I'm, I'm going to go see it one more time in theaters because I've seen it in Dolby, I've seen it in Prime, and I've seen it in Laser. Uh, all three are amazing. Dolby was spectacular because you're literally shaking in the seats. Like during Godzilla's attacks, the sh- the seats, there's so much reverberation from the bass that you're, you're literally vibrating in the seat. It was so gnarly. I hope that they can emulate that at the IMAX theater, though... You know, obviously the Dolby Theater is going to be superior sound. The IMAX Theater is going to be superior visuals. So we'll see what they do. But, yeah, that that, that excites me that I'm actually going to get to see it in IMAX now because that was going to be one of my um, regrets if I didn't get to see this in IMAX. The mere fact that a new Godzilla movie is available in IMAX, but then I can't see it because I'm fucking Beyonce. <laughs> and nothing against Beyonce. I don't dislike Beyonce. I don't listen to that kind of music, so I don't know. I, I do sometimes get upset when these musical artists put out concert movies and then take Taylor up the Smith. goddamn IMAX screen. Lucky yeah, Taylor, Taylor Swift took up the IMAX screen, too. So, exactly. That's what I mean. Uh, the Movie theater is for movies. If you want to go see Taylor Swift, buy a goddamn ticket for her show. Anyway, for her concert, not her movie. <laughs> anyway, back to Bye. Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> now, during this attack in the city, Noriko um, is perceivably killed. She She's in the middle of the attack during the atomic breath slash nuclear fallout explosion. And uh, she is able to push Koichi out of the way into a safe alley. And unfortunately, she's kind of swept away by the atomic blast. It's kind of funny, too, because uh, I, I read parts of the novelization of this movie. The, the novelization of this movie is, is available. Um, so if you want to pick it up, I, I think you can only get it in Japanese right now. Eventually there'll be an English version. But apparently in the Japanese novelization of this, everybody in Ginza is fucked. The, the amount of radiation that Godzilla gives off during one of his atomic blasts, if it, if it didn't kill you that day, it's going to kill you eventually. So, unfortunately, in the real world, everybody during this attack would be dead just because of the amount of nuclear radi- uh, of radiation that Godzilla is giving off just by his walking around. I mean, all through the movie, they're, they're also talking about how bits of Godzilla's flesh are falling off of his body and that those pieces are incredibly high in radiation. It's almost like Godzilla's marking his territory because that's kind of like what cats do. When cats rub their face on everything in the house, they're not doing it because they love it. They're marking their territory. And I almost feel like Godzilla dropping bits of his flesh all over the place. It's almost like his way of saying, this is now mine. It's now marked. And obviously with the amount of radiation that he gives off, it's not likely anything else is going to be able to thrive in that city after this attack. But obviously the movie is not going to go into the 
long-term repercussions of this. The movie's already two hours long. There's no need to make it any longer with aftermath type stuff. I mean, that's what we have what to do with a dead kaiju for. So <laughs> watch that movie if you want to know what happens after the end of Godzilla Minus One. So yeah, so at this point, Koichi is now with child, a child that isn't even his, and he's been given this offer by the former head of the J- Japanese Navy to be a part of this this mission. Um, shit, I forgot the name of it. Wada su- su- Tsunami or something like that? Wada, Wada Tsunami. Yeah, something like that. And it's basically what what they're going to do. And this is the plan that, you know, that we've all kind of had we're a little bit of attention. Exactly. Basically, what they're doing is they're going to surround Godzilla with Freon gas tanks. Now, once you hear Freon, you probably think, oh, they're going to try to freeze them. But no, they're not. What they're doing is they're trying to separate Godzilla from the salt water because Godzilla is buoyant in soft water, in, in salt water, excuse me. You know, all those scenes of Godzilla with half his body above the ocean floor, even though the ocean's about 1500 meters deep, you know, the people have always asked, well, how can he do that? My personal theory is gas bladders. He probably has gas bladders in his body. Look how big his legs are. Godzilla's legs have always been gigantic. So anyway, the point is is that the gov- or these guys, not the government, excuse me, these volunteers are going to strap Freon tanks onto him, which are going to separate him from the salt water, making him instantly sink. So the, the, the theory is, is that the, if they make him sink all the way down to the bottom of that trench, which, is, which was 1,500 meters deep, the change of pressure would make his cells break down. And then as soon as he's at the bottom, we're going to set off these balloons that are going to make him go up to the surface incredibly fast. Uh, once again, you know, decompression, you know, pressure decompression, the theory is, is that his cells will start to break down and that he'll eventually die. I think I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk too much about if the plan works or not. Again, this movie is less than a week old. I don't want to give away too much of it, but it is a Godzilla movie. Ultimately, most of us know if you've ever seen a Godzilla movie, you probably know how this one's going to end. At least if you've ever seen a Godzilla movie where Godzilla's the villain, you kind of know where this is going. But, um, man, I, I'm trying to think what else can we talk about that's spoiler free? Okay, we'll just skip all the spoiler stuff. Okay. And I'll get, ask a question. If they ever do or would make a sequel to this franchise universe and this, like, like an actual minus one sequel, mm-hmm. what other monster would you want them to see? I will answer first. I want the sequel to have two Rodans in it as villains. Interesting. And then it'd be like a be like another like remake of Rodan, but <laughs> with Godzilla in it too. Right, right. <laughs> because that'd be, well, it'd be an interesting aspect to see like a version of Rodan in like this real world universe. Godzilla. The I mean, my answer for that I don't know because, like I said, because. I've seen the ending three times now, and I've kind of come up with my own interpretation of what they're working with there and what we're probably going to get in the next movie. 
But you're asking what I would like to see. Now, obviously, I'm a Geigen guy. I love Geigen. I know Geigen is a much maligned kaiju since the movie, you know, Godzilla I'm shocked he hasn't Geigen. been in the monster verse yet. Exactly. Because he was made for that yeah, exactly. universe. To an extent. To an extent. It's just a matter of which version, the OG or the, the more metallic Geigen. Chainsaw. Yeah, exactly. Chainsaw Geigen. I think it's too soon for Ghidorah. Ghidorah being an alien, you know, I, I think it's a little too soon to, at least for this Godzilla franchise to start thinking about outer space. I mean, they've got they've got terrestrial kaiju to deal with, I would imagine, before they have to deal with aliens. So, I'd say I'd say give Ghidorah a little bit of a break, but uh Rodan isn't a terrible answer. Mothra obviously is one. I don't know if I really want to see Mothra and Godzilla fighting in this universe yet. It just seems a little early. Yeah. Um, but Mothra, you know, obviously being the queen of the monsters, she seems like the obvious next choice. Like a steampunk um, mega Godzilla? Cool. <laughs> a steampunk mega Godzilla? <laughs> that would be fucking awesome. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to deny that. If done properly, yeah, it could be great. <laughs> but man, what do you think, Don? What what, what do you want? What monster you want to see in this franchise next? I mean, Rodan is an obvious first choice. Um, I'm going to say for a sense of symmetry, I'm going to say I'd give uh, Anguirus another go. Yeah. You know, I, I think Anguirus does deserve more respect. I, I know he's, his I first would appearance see, I, was... Actually, I would see, like, a version of Anguirus. Like, I would see, I, I would love to see a fucking War of the Gargantians in this fucking universe. Gargantians is be, another good choice, yeah. Yeah. Especially, yeah. especially yeah, what I think with the idea of the replication with the loose cells. I think you can have a lot of fun with that. I think the, the gargantuas can fit into this universe pretty well. Yeah, I say you keep it all grounded like Earth monsters in this universe. I, I don't need to see any space monsters. Yeah, definitely a little early for the space monsters. So, yeah, Space Godzilla and Ghidorah, go ahead and sit on the bench for a little bit. They could but be obviously, Shin Godzilla sequel. Oh. oh, yeah. I mean, hey, I can see that, too. Shin Space Godzilla? That's what that would look like? <laughs> I don't know if Toho really wants to have two different timelines going at the same time, but yeah, if, they, if they did... I wouldn't be against it. I'm, 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 I'm here for it. Yeah, exactly. You're be living with that with DC soon, you know? All right. So now, obviously, we're not going to talk too much about the third act because it is filled with spoilers. And as much as I would love to talk about my theory of what happens at the end and, you know, what is on her neck and what does it represent for the future, uh, we're go- we're gonna go ahead and not talk about that because, like I said, I want you guys to see this movie. I want everyone to see this movie. I mean, we're, we're getting non kaiju fans saying that this is the best Godzilla movie they've ever Seth seen. Seth Green said this was made him cry. Uh, <laughs> shit, made me cry. Shit, I, I I teared up at different levels all three times I watched it. I mean, you. I'm just you no, I'm just picturing Seth Green going to see this. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> Well, he'd have to get a, a a seat booster since he's so tiny. But yeah, 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 he, yeah, he, he could probably do it. <laughs> 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 and then let's let's just talk about some of the themes of the movie. Now, you know, obviously Godzilla has always been kind of a, a representation of like nuclear war and and the fallout of you know nuclear bombs and things like that. But I feel like in this movie, he's just more an interpretation of just the generalized horrors of war. You know what I mean? Like maybe not necessarily nuclear war specifically, but just war in general. I mean, 
the fact well, that, th- that this movie takes place right after World War II, I think it's so great because we see Japan already in ruins from one war. And then they get like a little two year respite where they get to try to rebuild and and get back to some sense of normalcy just for this big, bad, mutated Godzilla to then show up in Ginza and wreak havoc. I I just the, the representation of the horrors of war, of death, of decisions, of even like like Koichi and his decision to not go through with his kamikaze mission. That's a very human decision. We all want to live. Ultimately, more than anything, as a human being, we want to live. We want to exist. You know, obviously beyond that, we want to we want to be able to succeed. We want to be able to provide to our loved ones and things like that. But first and foremost, we want to live. I'm surprised that's not something that's discussed more in cinema about kamikaze pilots maybe going back on their word and deciding, you know what, I think I can do more for my country alive than I can dead. And even in this movie, like Koichi, he gets some major shit from his neighbor to the point that the neighbor even says, maybe if you would have gone through with your mission, my children wouldn't have died. Anybody with half a brain knows that's not true. But obviously she's an emotional parent. She lost her kids during the war. She sees this kamikaze pilot back from war when he wasn't supposed to come back. So her reaction makes sense, but I still I, I don't like it because it's like, Do you really believe that one more plane crashing into a U.S. warship would have somehow changed the outcome of the war? That that seems ignorant, but again, that statement was made based on emotion and loss and grief. So, you know, again, those aspects of this movie, things that we've never seen in a Godzilla movie before – really really stuck out to me and 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 they still stick with me now it's 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 officially been a week since i saw it the first time and so much of this movie is still sitting with me so much of the so much of just the emotionality of it koichi's breakdown when he's not even sure if he's real where he literally thinks he's in a flatliner situation where he actually died and that everything else happening around him is just a dream that's so human it's so realistic and fuck it's so emotional like i said you know this is a guy that we all like we're all behind him in this movie since this isn't actually 1946 we can look at kamikazes as they should be looked at it's a suicide mission that almost never works anyway you know i mean it just doesn't, yeah, it makes, it's, I mean, you're, you're wasting so many resources between the plane, the pilot, the gunner, you know, because there usually there's two people on those planes, a pilot and a gunner. Uh, you're wasting so much resources just to crash into a warship, and one plane crashing into a warship will never, ever sink it. Obviously, a dozen of them crashing into it might. But think of the logistics, the loss of life, the loss of assets, just to bring down one American warship. It just, man, sometimes you want to question their their planning for war over there. But at the same time, it's not my place either. So I'll leave that alone. But yeah, like I said, just so much of the war, so much of the post-war stuff that's addressed in this movie just it, it comes off as so human and so realistic and I, I and i know i've said that already probably four times but and i'm probably going to say it four more times but god damn it. it this movie really struck a chord with me it's you know 
I'm going to see it as often as I can uh, while it's still in theaters. And yeah, if you don't think this is an instant 4K purchase for me, <laughs> you got another thing coming. I'm pretty sure Derek and I will both be reserving it <laughs> as soon as that uh, date is announced. Oh, yeah. Criteria, <laughs> listen, 4K. Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. So, oh, man, what else can we talk about here that kind of stays out of spoiler territory? Uh, I'm not sure. As I look at my notes, everything that's left in here seems kind of spoilery. But, I mean, even without spoilers, just know that this movie has this great finale, another battle at sea between Godzilla and members of the Japanese Navy in, you know, a very compelling and even satisfying ending. Like, as a Godzilla fan, I was still satisfied with this ending, and especially once we get kind of the... uh the extra little epitaph scene that kind of lets us know that, oh yeah, this isn't over. There's still more to come. Even with that, it just, it, it's just so satisfying. I, I, I think I've yet to speak to anyone who disliked this movie. And that's a rare thing in our genre, be it horror, thriller, creature feature for a movie like this to be out a full week now. And I've still yet to find one person who disliked it is quite the triumph. So, yeah, easily my movie of the year thus far, regardless of genre. I Like I said, I'm still kind of on the fence on whether I'm going to put it in my top ten horror movies of the year, but it is by far my favorite movie of the year. As great as stuff like Oppenheimer and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 were, this thing leaves me with an ear-to-ear grin. All three times, from beginning to end, I am... I am in the theater and there's nowhere on the planet I would rather be than in that theater watching this new Godzilla movie. And I I don't know what else I can say to get people to go see it. I mean, if you're listening to us, a creature feature podcast, and you haven't gone to see Godzilla, what the heck is wrong with you guys? It's, It's literally our godfather at this point. The movie that we've been waiting for and that actually delivers once we get it. It's a rare thing in this industry, be it Hollywood or foreign cinema. It's such a rare thing, and we get it here. So, I don't know, guys. uh, Any closing comments you want to make before we get out of here? Yeah. Fucking big ups to this filmmaker, because we know that he directed and wrote it, but he also did the fucking visual effects for it, too. Yes. Mind-blowing. Yep. You don't get that often. That's for damn sure. You might get that. I think like Stephen Kapensky, uh, the guy who did Psycho Goreman and The Void, um, he's one of those writer-director effects guys. I'm, there's not too many of those in the world. But yeah, uh, Takashi Yamazaki, holy shit. And he also did some Neon Genesis Evangelion, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember seeing his name and the closing credits on some Neon Genesis stuff. And I am a Neon Genesis fan. I don't consider myself the biggest anime fan. Like, I don't consume all anime that comes in, but some exceptional stuff, especially after years of people telling me, oh, you got to see it, you got to see it, you got to see it, and then to finally see it and absolutely love it, it's pretty huge. So, yeah, definitely on board for this director. Can't wait to see what we get from him. I definitely hope he's not done in the kaiju uh, subgenre. We should go watch yeah. well, some watch some of his earlier movies, man. They're fucking trippy. Like he did the live action Parasite movies, really based on the manga and anime. 
I heard about those. I never actually saw one. Yeah, they're they're, they're weird. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> like well, that's probably something I'm going to go check out then. Awesome. I do remember seeing like Battleship Yamato. Um, yeah. I haven't I haven't seen much from this director, admittedly. Yeah, I never saw Returner. I guess that's one of his bigger movies. I've never seen that one. Well, it gives me something to watch now. I got lots of I got a brand new director to look into and uh, consume his content, so that's going to be fun. Uh, Don, anything uh, before we get out of here? Yeah, I'm not really coming up with anything. Uh, I mean, like you said, a lot of the stuff that we haven't touched on is the spoiler stuff. So yeah, yeah. maybe we'll, um, maybe uh, in a couple of months we might revisit this and maybe talk a little bit more about the third act once this has been out for a little while. Or maybe when it gets its home video release, we'll kind of revisit the third act of this one because there really is a lot to unpack in the third act. A lot of cool different things to talk about, but they are very, very spoiler heavy. And like I said, we try to give you guys the respect of seeing these movies, you know, before we talk about them. But this is a movie we've been waiting for for a long time. It's a movie we've been talking about all year. It's a movie that we've spent time on this podcast talking about over the last two, three episodes. So it was very obvious that we were going to jump on this right away. I did think about holding off on the episode to give us all more opportunities to watch it and maybe let it sink in and maybe even give like a top five or something. But it's just this movie was just. Yeah, so... yeah top five right now. No, I don't know. I'm with Don as far as the. As far as the ranking goes, I am definitely with Don. Minus one is in my top three now, officially. Uh, I've seen it three times now. Uh, Granted, three times in a row, so it's not like I've really given it much time to breathe or live with me. But for me, it's yeah, it's top three. I mean, you know, I've always said Destoroya is my favorite. I've always said the OG 54 is probably the best made and now it's minus one, which, I mean, minus one conceivably could become my favorite Godzilla movie ever. I need to rewatch a lot of Godzilla. Like a lot of the show of Godzilla I haven't watched in years, the decades almost for some of it. What's your, what's so, your favorite show, Don? Throw it out there. Yeah. Mothra. Nice. Mothra versus Godzilla? Mothra versus Godzilla, yep. Same. That's my favorite, too. Very cool. Nice. I'm kind of a cheesy guy. I've always kind of leaned towards uh, Destroy All Monsters, even though objectively it's not a top-tier Godzilla movie. Yo, it's, it's one not, of those that I've always had a soft spot for. Yo, an- another monster I forgot to mention that I would love to see in this universe is Baron. Sure. Because <laughs> he's wasted in Destroy All Monsters. <laughs> That's right. I forgot all about that. Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, on behalf of Derek B. and Donna Nelly, this is Mr. Venom once again thanking you so much for joining us.